Are you comfy in the stroller, Ophie? I've become that person who's pushing my senior dog in a stroller on the street. That's fine by me. Although I do have a suspicion, Ophelia, that even if you could make this walk, you would prefer me to push you like the queen you are. It's nice outside, right? Not too hot. Not a lot of traffic. Kind of bumpy, kind of wobbly stroller today. But it's nice. You're getting your smells. And you are my queen. It's true. My name is Katya, and this is The Animal That Changed You. I believe loving an animal is one of the most accessible, most available portals for self-healing in the whole world. And I want to be here for you if you're in the middle of experiencing that right now or if it's already happened to you, or if you might someday embark on that journey. It's my privilege to encourage you to open your heart to animals and challenge you to deepen your compassion just a little bit more. Welcome to The Animal That Changed You. Hey there, welcome back to The Animal That Changed You. I've been thinking of taking in a new foster. What do you guys think? Should I bring in a new foster dog? I'm itching for one, you know, I just... I just love to do it. Love to have a foster, but my my Ophelia is so so old, and I uh, don't want to take away attention from her. Maybe it'd be good for her. I don't know. Um, if you're on my Instagram page at the animal that changed you, message me, post, tag me. Let me know what you think. Should I take in a foster? I want to take in a foster. Okay. Anyways, glad you're here today. We have an amazing guest on the podcast, and I'm just gonna just dive right in and um and get to the interview because he's. He's um, a very interesting person to talk to and hear. His name is Gavin Pallone. He's a Hollywood producer, a writer, an animal advocate. He just um, really is one of those people that you meet and really leaves a mark on you. And I'm really honored that he came to chat with us. And uh, I'm sure he's going to make a mark on you too. So my geek out minute about you, because then we're just going to talk animals. And so like, I just want to like get this out of the way because it's true. I was fairly nervous to talk to you. Okay. You're a film and TV producer. You're also a writer. And I want to make sure to mention that because I know like Curb Your Enthusiasm, Gilmore Girls, Zombieland, A Dog's Purpose, A Dog's Way Home, A Dog's Journey, uh, movies that make me cry, movies that make me laugh, shows that make me laugh. Gilmore Girls and Curb are like tied for the funniest shows, best shows ever. But you also um, manage Conan O'Brien and you have written for Slate and Vulture and Hollywood Reporter. And as a writer, I love reading what you write because you have like a journalistic slant where you sort of demystify all these things going on in Hollywood that we wouldn't know about or, you know, that that is so real and raw. But you also have voice, which is only yours. And I really appreciate that. And so I am very much geeked out about what you do for a living and how you do it and getting to work with people like Larry David. And just, it's amazing. I can't believe the life you've created for yourself and how talented you just empirically are because this is your life. But you also do all this activism. And um, I met you protesting pet stores with Last Chance for Animals. So, and that was a long time ago, like 15 years ago. 
and I've seen you while you supported Jim Haven. I remember you throwing a big fundraiser benefit party um, and now kangaroos are not shoes and you're just always evolving and you're always like, you're always putting, walking the walk, not just talking the talk. And I don't know how you manage to do both things, both big things, but you do. And I have, I was nervous because I admire you so very much. That's my geek out minute about you. Did I go far enough? Am I failing you? Um, no, you're not failing me. And you went too far because it's funny because often, you know, like everybody, we all have feelings of like, I haven't done enough that I've I failed in my career that I wish I could do more in one, one way or another. But I do think uh, I'm proud of the stuff that I, a lot of the stuff that I've done. And I try very much to let go of the things that maybe didn't work out all the different movies and television shows that I thought should have succeeded and failed and in other parts of my life that I felt like were, were somewhat failures. And I try to be present a little more in my, in the moment, especially at my super advanced age and really focus on the donut, not the whole. And that seems to be working for me. And I do feel truly happy, truly happy. I've had, I've had some misfortune. I've had really good fortune, but I've never had really terrible, terrible misfortune like many other people do. And I try to also just keep that in mind as well. And so um, I really appreciate all that you've said and that you've recognized a lot of the things that I've done. And I'm hoping that um, to do more and do better. And, and I'm sure you will. I mean, I want to post from after we record this and when we share it, we're going to post the, um, the short you made of Kangaroos Are Not Shoes because it's, I mean, that you produce, that you created, we're a part of. It's so beautiful and so impactful. And I've never seen anything about kangaroos. P.S. Yeah. Where, where has this been forever? It's, it's, it's That's the reaction I've gotten quite a bit and from people. And, uh, and I am really, it's it, it, certainly the thing, the one thing that I've produced, you know, that I'm most proud of in quite some time, maybe ever in a lot of ways, because it, it really, it's hard. I can't probably, maybe like you or maybe not like you, I can't watch any of those ASPCA commercials or anything that pops up. There's certain people I've had to mute on Facebook who I really admire and like a lot, but they're posting, you know, look how this cat was abused or something like that. I can't yeah. handle it. I can't watch movies that are about animals. There was this, I mean, there's this thing, it does come up every now and then, but my ex-girlfriend, I always remember this point where she like, I want to, I want to watch wing migration. And I was like, I, I can't watch Wing Migration. Like, bad things are going to happen. I can't watch anything that has animals in it. And she's like, no, it's for kids. My friend's daughter watched it and they loved it, whatever. And then, you know, we're watching Wing Migration and then there's some hunter that blows a duck or a goose out of the sky. And I'm like, how I told you? Every now and then, like 20 years later, we're not together, whatever. But I will bring it up to her about how she misled me to watch Wing Migration. And um, there's just a lot of stuff like that. Even my own movies it can be can be very difficult when there's any kind of difficulty relating to animals that's fake. I can't even handle it. In in some ways, though, not necessarily. It's not a successful a movie. The other thing that I'm super proud of is a movie called The Dog's Way Home. And part of that is because anybody who watches it, and a lot of people have watched, it, especially during the it was during the pandemic. I felt like the studio really screwed us in terms of the release of the movie because it tested quite well. But you know, young people and kids watched so much te television during the pandemic, and that movie I noticed was on stars just constant and i had a, got a lot of positive feedback about it but it's such propaganda it's you know because i'm very much against breed specific legislation that still yeah. remains in many cities in uh in the united states and in other countries uh yeah. as well i've worked in other i've worked in canada 
where they have, in fact, we did uh, a dog's purpose and a dog journey in Manitoba, and they don't allow bully breeds in, in yeah. all of Manitoba, which is absolutely absurd. So to actually have a character say, you know, when, when they encounter anti-pit bull laws in Denver, which have been reversed, um, mm -hmm. and I'm hopeful, or, 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 or I feel like maybe the movie and the book before that had some effect about that, but it was set in Denver, Colorado, and a character says, protesting that, said, that's like racism for dogs. And he was like, how did I get the fantastic opportunity to get paid to put that in a movie. It's not like, you know, the kangaroo video, which, you know, I'm so proud of, I put money into it. I kind of nonprofit, you know, I did this with a nonprofit and all of that, but I actually got paid to do a propaganda movie about animals and about seeing animals as sentient. And my, it's been a really great fortune just in general to be able to make the three movies I've made that have been based on Bruce Cameron books because they all forward that idea. And I think that I am in part the way I am, and probably, you know, you are too, you know, influenced by when we were little kids, because yeah. we watched things where my guess would be the animals were mistreated, quite yeah. frankly. But, but yet, the lesson that we got from the media by watching, for me, I'm older than you, but Gentle Ben, or Flipper, or Lassie even, or any of those kinds of things where you really had a presence of mind to think, oh, well, they're like me, you know? These dogs are are like me, and and the relationship between a dog and the human, or a dolphin and a human, or or whatever. And I when I think about all these movies that were really important to me, like Sounder or Day of the Dolphin, which is you know a really important movie to me, and and on and on, had a big influence on making me the way I am in the way you know the way that I'm I've always been proud, which is that I feel a deep connection to animals and that I feel like I have to stand up for animal welfare and I have to live my life in a just, humane and ethical way and try to, in some ways, influence others to do the same, which I've been able to do. And if I don't know that I exactly that would have happened, it would have happened, it happened because of a few things, but certainly because of the influence that I've had from movies and TV. Well, you, those movies in particular are, they feel good and they also, you know, are heartbreaking in that they capture that, that heartbreak, that loyalty, that pure, pure loyalty, which is so heartbreaking and of course makes you like double down on being tethered to an, to a, an animal, but in this case, dogs. And I, for, for me, my personal favorite is A Dog's Way Home. Also just the idea of the pit bull, like being, having a minute, just having that minute. I was so moved I have had that experience even with like March of the Penguins where I'm just like sobbing. I'm like, their life is so hard. I would never watch March of the Penguins. Or anything it's like that. so good, Gavin, but I, yeah. what are we going to do? I mean, I can't I, watch a, I wouldn't watch a commercial for March of the Penguins. I, <laughs> I turn that off. That gets turned off immediately. If that it's was too much. Yeah, it's too much. It's very hard for me. Where did you grow up and did you grow up with animals in your home? Well, that's that. That's a key element of why I am the way I am as well. I grew up in the San Fernando Valley in Encino, near Tar, you know, sort of on the on the border of Tarzana. For those listening who are from the from the valley, and um, there was uh, an, an out a cat in my neighborhood that was I think kept by people, but an outdoor cat. And from the time I was two, that cat kind of just kept coming to our house. I think we probably fed that cat, and then eventually the cat became became my cat. And I didn't have a lot of friends. I was bullied pretty extensively as a as as a kid because I was pretty sensitive. And you know, kids pick on that, pick on the other kids. And probably my parents were distracted with their own issues. And I was very alone. And that cat was my friend. 
you know, that cat was my best, my closest friend. And I had that cat until I was just about to go to college. So that cat was very old and, and she died. And, you know, it was just a constant in my life that when I felt bad could be relieved by, by a connection with an animal, you know, that never left me and continues to this day. I'm sorry you were bullied. Um, I wish I could like go back in time and find you know, I've had place. actually other other people from from those times, you know, apologize to me too. Oh, that's nice. You know, it's a, that's in a whole other kind of thing. Like it's very, it's it's it is fascinating about the whole bullying thing and how intense. I do remember how intense it felt at different times in my life, and and then uh, thinking, you know, someday I'm gonna grow up sure. and get back at them. And I remember also when later when I went to a different junior high school, like you used to be driven to school by the upperclassmen of private school, and. Uh, and then I'd have to sit in the back seat with this other guy who was older. I was like, you know, 12. And this guy was maybe 15. And he used to, he like, whack me with a rolled up, you know, magazine every day. And and I used to, I'm going to beat that guy up. And then years later, I think I was in college. And I went to, with a friend of mine, a guy I'd lived with in college. He was counseling at a camp. And that guy was there. And I hadn't wow. seen him since, really, that period of time, since he had graduated from high school. And, uh... And I always vowed, like, I'll run into that guy when I'm big and I'm going to beat him up. And I, sure. I, I, I was on the boxing team at college, too. At Berkeley? And then, at, huh? At Berkeley. Berkeley. And then uh, it, it, it turned out that uh, he never continued growing. He's about your size. <laughs> it was like, uh, you know, and what, what am I going to do anyway? And anyways, it, it, uh, it's funny, but I think bullying sets people on a lot of different trajectories in their lives when they've been bullied, you know, yeah. uh, about, you know, do they become a person who's sensitive to other people? Do they become rageful and want to act out on people? And I think I became both. But the the most consistent and important part for me was that like I had this cat. What was your what was that cat's name? Chiquita. Chiquita. It's interesting to hear that sensitivity as part of you because it is a deep sensitivity, you know, to 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 be willing to open yourself up to this cat that was, you know, didn't have anyone either. And to feel alone and to uh trust that that another being could feel that too and could remedy the loneliness like that there's there's such a safety there I'm glad you had it and I I I mean I grew up in Laredo on the border of Mexico and I had that same sort of those run-ins with a lot of stray dogs a lot of mistreated dogs and cats and I remember my dad being like I remember being like maybe seven or eight and being you know we're at a restaurant across the border in the Nuevo Laredo the, the Mexican side in Nuevo Laredo and my dad being like, okay, Katya, come on, let's get in the car. We're leaving. And I was like, I just want to pray for that dog or if we can give it scraps, you know, and he was just like, get in the car. Like you're slowing me down. Love my dad. Great man. But I remember Lassie and I remember watching rerun seeking shows for other people who felt like I felt because I thought I was so weird. You know, I didn't have anything reflected back to me other than media to let me know that 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 was okay. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I really love that you've created those movies for those kids out there who's, you know, love my family, but it's just, it's not in them that way, at least not all of them, not to live by the code, you know? Yeah. Um, So was, was Chiquita the first, would you say the first animal that, that changed you? For sure. She was the beginning. And since then you've had cats, right? You've had cats and dogs. Oh, yeah. In fact, uh, oh, I had had, uh, when Elizabeth and I broke up, we had nine pets who mostly lived, who lived with me, although she would, she would take them when I'd have to go away for work and stuff like that. And we still have one left. She just walked out of the room. She's old. She's very old because uh, we, we split up like almost 13 years ago. But I've had many 
when I had to move my mother into uh, assisted living, I had to, I took her cats, and it was really a journey. I mean, capturing them was difficult. So um, the, the larger of the two, like, really scratched me across the face. Although he warmed up to me like within weeks, it was a wonderful cat, very old, and also had a lot of uh, health issues when I got him. And then the other cat, which was a little bit younger, she it was about a year or two years before she would really, you know, not seem terrified of me. And then I became very close to both of them. And the older one obviously, you know, died. And then the the younger one who I became very close to, and not only was I close to it, but she she and um, my my pit bull Jerry, who's around here somewhere, had a very intense relationship where they would, you know, sleep curled up together and <laughs> lick each other's face. And she'd come over and like lick the inside of his ear and and like really clean his ears. <laughs> it was just like oh. crazy. And she'd follow him around. And it was just a really important relationship for me. And uh, I, I was really lucky to have them, but not only have them, but to go through a process in that relationship. All relationships are difficult. And I tell that to everybody, you know, I tend to end up, I'm sure this, I know this happens to you both professionally and personally, but like, you know, people come to me and say, oh, we want to get a dog. And I give my advice. And I always say like, every relationship that you're going to have is difficult. If you have children, if you get, if you get married or any of that kind of stuff, then you end up, you know, you have to overcome those kinds of things. And I, and I just went through this with one of my really close friends about, you know, hey, if you're getting a dog and whatever, and they have a kid, this will be great for them because there'll be issues. The dog will go in the house. The dog will bark. There'll be 50 things that'll go on. One of my two dogs, the, the pit bull that I mentioned, is extremely dog aggressive, but not with my other dog, strangely. I mean, loves her and is afraid of her, which is also strange because she's half his size and so old and wobbly at this point in time. But, you know, really defers to her and she's she's the boss. But other than that, you know, like it's very hard. My girlfriend has two dogs, uh, one of which I found for her. And he's, you know, we've not really been able to fully meld them because he's very difficult. But it's also a great process for me. Makes me better as a person, makes me more patient. And I also feel very lucky that he came to me that I found him, well, you know, that I, I found him from a rescue group, but that he ended up being my dog because I had the time and the patience and the understanding to be able, and, and the money to be able to, you know, do, help try to do my best to deal with that kind of thing. And again, it goes on. So I do, I do really think that that's, that's an important, you know, part of, of everything. And all the cats that I've had, there's one thing where, you know, cats are also, they're there to, to train you, not the other way around. For sure. And when uh, a cat becomes comfortable with you, they let you know in a certain kind of way that, you know, dogs are just right, usually, or at least in my life, have been right up there in my face and really happy and want to, you know, be right next to me. But it take, you have to earn a cat's trust a little bit more than a dog. And so it's been a, that's a great experience. I haven't, after the last one uh, passed away, uh, I decided I'm going to wait until I move into my new house uh, before, you know, getting all of that ready and, secure before I, I have another cat, but it's very hard for me to even imagine going forward and not having another cat in my life or more. Do you feel like this, I mean, I love hearing anyone talk about like the hard stuff, you know, like going through, because I, I feel like people definitely have a misconception that if they, um, you know, get an animal from a certain place, they will sort of bypass all the hard stuff. And I'm like, it's never. Or, or, it, or a certain breed, which is absolutely stupid. Um, so I guess my question is like, I agree with you. The love I feel is always equal in measure to the investment I make. Like 
I fall in love with my animals, even my fosters, every time I work hard with them. That's where I, precisely when I realize how much they meant mm-hmm. to me. Um, and it's helped me do that with people. And I'm wondering if you feel that too. Do you feel like you can do that more with human beings because you have been able to do it with your animals? Or is it, does it feel like, no, I can do this more with animals and very few people? Like, how do you balance that? Well, people suck. And I don't really try that hard, you know, <laughs> and I don't think about it that way as much because there's this, there's no thing inside me that makes me want to connect with people. And that, and I'm unusual in that way. So I'm very happy being alone. And when I'm not alone, because I have to work, it, it grates on me, but I don't have that thing inside me of, I want to be close to this animal, any animal, whether that that animal rejects me or accepts me right off the bat. It's just a thing that I want. You know, um, it's the house that I'm moving into is at the top of a hill and there's a lot of wildlife up there, which I'm mostly going to be fenced in from the, the crawling and, and fence jumping kind to protect the pets that I have. But there are ravens up there and I'm fascinated by those ravens. And I have a semi fantasy, which my girlfriend is not on board for, where <laughs> I'm going to like on many videos you can find on YouTube when I've watched them all you can befriend a raven and I just feel like they're going to, I'm going to make friends with one of those kind of ravens. And it's just like a, such a strong desire. I never, I never really think like I want to be friends with that person or watch a TV show or meet someone and go, how can I, you know, I want to be friends with them. I just never, it doesn't really occur to me. That's I, I mean, I like, you know what I mean? Like one is a thing I want to do and one is not me and then I'm patient about it. And even though it can be a struggle and difficult, I want to push through it. And then the other is, you have uh, to. I guess I can tolerate this person. I know I have the tools to do it. It's just, am I really going to do it? It's interesting because you have such a social career. Well, you know, less like, and less, but yeah. And I, by the way, part of the reason I started writing magazine articles is that it was something that I could just do by myself and not have to interact with so many people who are going to, you know, bum me out. I really like your magazine articles. Thanks. I, I really too. like. I really like them. Um, and I was going to tell you that I have the same sort of fantasy with owls. I just have some thing with owls. Have you ever read the memoir H's for Hawk? Mm-mm. I'm going to send you H's for Hawk. It is one of my favorite books, but especially because you have this raven situation going on in your mind and potentially in your new home. I mean, they're there. And I'm just, I just think like if I am around and I'm peaceful and maybe I offer them, the, the problem is like a lot of the, uh, the YouTube videos say you should find drive around and look for roadkill because they want carrion. And I'm like, that's not good. My ravens are going to be vegan like me. But apparently, <laughs> they're, they, apparently like you can give them peanuts if they're unsalted and they, it's good for them and they like them. So I'm going to really have to investigate the kind of food that they'll, they'll be okay with and be my friend. When you're um, working on a project, speaking of vegan ravens, when you're working on a project, do you try to serve peanuts to everybody on set? Do you try to provide mm-hmm. vegan a food, you know, I always read that Morrissey is like canceling his show because, and I'm like, you know, I'm just like, whoa, I think I'm, I'm very torn between like what I love and who I love. I unfortunately really like people, which is really a thorn in my side because I want to just give it all to the animals. It is. Thank you for acknowledging that. It does feel tough, but, um, I'm wondering about that. Like how you balance this huge career with your huge moral compass. Um, it just seems like a lot of work and I'm wondering how that 
how how you reconcile? You know, in terms of the 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 vegan aspect of it, you know, in the beginning it was just hard because you don't want to be, hey, you've got to you've got to take care of me, and I have these dietary restrictions. Yeah. But I also found in the very you know earlier stages for me in my career, there's usually some there was usually an actor or something like that you have to pay attention to. Like when I did the first Zombieland, I could just draft behind Woody Harrelson all the time, which was fantastic because <laughs> um, he's extremely demanding uh, about that kind of stuff. Um, and then later, I just like, hey, you know, whoever you get, they have to be able to serve vegan stuff. And then I don't really I try not because I don't interact with people and I have such, you know, specific, uncommon beliefs about everything and positions that are not consistent with one side or the other politically. I'm most of the, you know, it'd be like, su I have very super left wing kind of points of view. And then su what things that could be, you know, super right wing, I guess. And so I don't really correspond with me and I don't want to preach to other people. But I also feel that if you offer things, uh, vegan items, it always ends up being, you know, hey, that was pretty good. I'm really surprised by that. So, you know, I own a restaurant that's not vegan. Uh, the Waffles, what it's called. The Waffles. And and what I always kind of felt was, you know, I wasn't going to like impose this on my partners and whatever completely, but I could a little bit. So there were always vegan items that even in the earlier days when there were fewer restaurants that were that had vegan items that people would be like, wow, I can't believe that vegan chicken salad. I really like that or this or the vegan cob salad or whatever. And then, you know, now it's a moneymaker. It's a moneymaker to have those vegan items. And so like. At some point, it was like small, and then we, I tried. To, I would push a little bit more to expand it, but then they would start losing money, and then you kind of bring it back down, and then you're finding more and more and more. And so I feel like influencing people is something that that's really what it's all about for me. So on a set, I'll just say it's just important to me that the caterer can satisfy not only me but other vegans. But you you end up being someone will always come up to me who I don't really who I haven't spoken much to an electrician or sound guy saying, you know, I'm a vegan. I really appreciate that you push that through because it's always really difficult for me on a, on a set. Mm -hmm. And and then there just ends up being more and more of a, a request. And there's always going to be some step further that someone takes you on or helps you to the next thing. It says, it's not that hard. It's not that hard yeah. to be a vegan, you know? And I remember, you know, thinking, I don't know, 25 years ago, well, I, I could, I, I don't know if I could do this, right? I don't know. I exercise quite a bit and I don't know if that's going to make it so that I can't lift weights as like I did or maintain muscle or any of the things that are just phony and, you know, uh, ideas that have been put out there by vested interests. You know, you need to be able to find people that, to take that, help you take that next step. And to some extent that maybe that did happen in person with me a little bit, but, you know, that's been the great thing about the internet because there's so now there's so many vegan athletes totally. and vegan bodybuilders and much more data that's available to everybody that you can go, oh, well, it's not that different. Plus, there's just more products. There's more restaurants. There's more products. And so just recently, a friend of mine, somebody I've known since high school, she um, she had breast cancer. And and she was, you know, I had sort of said, you know, look, there's a lot of research on this and sent her a couple of things about how cancer is less prevalent in people who are vegan and who have a vegan diet and aren't eating animal products. Well, I don't know. I want to do that, whatever. And I'm like, well, here, try this product and that product, and here are a bunch of restaurants, and here's how you can make it easy. And that has gone down to, you know, many different kinds of things. You know, I won't obviously I won't wear leather or have any of that kind of stuff. But you know, my I so for my girlfriend's last birthday, I bought her uh, a Stella McCartney uh, bag, and very nice, well done. And 
you know, obviously I had a, I cleared with her what she'd want and whatnot, but she knew that I wouldn't buy her anything that wasn't like, but the nut, she gets so much, so many compliments on that Stella McCartney bag and people don't realize that it's not leather. And I've had a lot of that kind of stuff happen as well. And so like little things that you can do yeah. to kind of push that do, does have a, does have a, a rippling effect throughout society. I totally agree so, with you. So people want it. My restaurant having a couple items that someone goes to lunch with somebody, they have the vegan cob salad and go, that, oh, that looks like bacon. That's not bacon? Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Or for instance, like I've been sending a lot of people to a restaurant across the street from the Waffle called Brothers Meatballs. And two different people have come back and say, you know, I took my father. I didn't tell him, I, I didn't tell him that it wasn't, they weren't real meatballs. And he said, I, I would <laughs> any kind of, I, I never would have known. And another woman who just became vegan and her daughter did the, had her daughter eat the meatball sandwich. And even with my girlfriend, who has kind of moved in that direction, doesn't want to fully commit, certainly doesn't eat any, any kind of like meat or anything. And uh, she's sort of, I, she's kind of slipped it in with her children, one of whom is very negative about me, basically in general, but also the vegan <laughs> stuff. But then, <laughs> but then would eat the vegan cookies and eat the vegan, yeah. you know, meatballs and, and stuff like that. Not giving any credit. You have to be, I have to be very circumspect. I have to say, Hey, for you sure. Know, eat it out. Maybe he read, good. maybe he read your Hollywood reporter, my humble quest to live forever though. And the, the, he doesn't want to it's give she, you the you know, She wouldn't, she wouldn't read anything that I wrote oh, she, or acknowledge, okay, or acknowledge anything of the sort. No. Well, I'm just saying if someone read that, they might be convinced entirely, but maybe she doesn't want you to know it. Maybe. I, I, I do. do. That, that is a very popular, that article is the most popular art, uh, article that I've ever written. And so many people will come up, you know, who I've never known or whatever, you know, comment on that. So I think that, uh, I think that's, you know, look, I, I became a vegan for ethical reasons, but, you know, you're touching on what I think most people will really, you know, is more important, which is their own personal survival. And, uh, and I think that that, yeah, that article is really great. But, you know, one thing I, I always send to people right off the bat, I don't go, here's why it's, un I, don't, I don't send a video of a slaughterhouse or something like that. I send doc, you know, Dr. Greger's uh, nutritionfacts.org. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Have Yeah. And he's, you know, half the stuff that's on there is like, here's why you, if you, if you don't want to have cancer or diabetes. Or it's like rational. It's rational yeah. science. It works. But it's all about, yeah, it's all about the data. And what do I care? Just people stop not eating animals. What I care about not, you know, yeah. how they got there. And, you, my, and a lot of the friends I have uh, who eat a plant-based diet certainly don't really care that much about animals. Are you excited about like the synthetic meat? Situate not not impossible and beyond like we know those they're great. No, I know you're talking. I know the, exactly the what you're talking about. Singapore situation that, that yeah he and Dr. Greger cells. was Dr. Greger was talking about that and that it is uh, uh, there was a recent video that he did about synthetic meat. Uh, you're talking about the the meat that's grown in a lab cellularly and, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, and and apparently that also will still be healthier because part of the part of what makes eating um, animals unhealthy is all of the chemicals that they get from the environment in their feet. Um, but synthetic meat obviously won't have that. And that'll be good. And it also won't be, it, it, it will be less cruel. But I just think meat in general, even if it's synthetic, is going to be unhealthy for, you know, many reasons that have been proven by the data. Um, so I, don't, I, I won't be out there. And I have no desire to. It's, you yeah. know, it's not hard for me to be a vegan. It just doesn't 
it doesn't come up. And over time, the two or three things that maybe I missed, it kind of just goes away. Yeah. I mean, it's such a, I don't even want to use the word inconvenience because it's not, it's not an inconvenience, but if it is to somebody, it's, I, I, I would think it's a very small inconvenience considering the, the benefits. I, um, not I in this country. In this country, it really isn't. And, I, uh, it, and it hasn't been for a long time. I have had, you know, problems like in, where, I, you know, for work, I, I remember I was in Romania for a few days or, or whatever. And probably if I went back, and this, was, this had to be 10 years ago, that was tough. I did a, my first movie that I did was in, I did in Hungary and not, and it was outside of Budapest and even explaining to people, you know, any of that stuff was really very, very tough. And it probably would still be a little tough in, in Romania, but I know over time, even in places when I've had to be in rural areas, uh, in, in the United States, like it's still not that, it's just not that hard. And I remember I, when I was doing Zombieland, uh, we shot for three weeks in Valdosta, Georgia, which isn't tiny, but it's a farming area and pretty rural. I remember I had trouble. This uh, this was 2008, I guess. So, you know, it was still quite a while ago. And I still, I remember going on a Sunday to Starbucks and asking for the Sunday New York Times and they were like, which all Starbucks have. And they had one, but they had never sold one before, you know, because you have they, with Starbucks, you have to have that. And I remember there was a big, wow, how much is it? And this, that, you know, it was like big conversation. But even there, I remember, because I was staying, I was staying at a Hilton Garden Inn and I would go on the weekends. I mean, the because of Woody, I was able to certainly eat on, on set because he made sure of that. But I would go, I went to a Publix and I'm looking around and, you know, what am I going to buy? What could I eat in my room with the tiny microwave and, and refrigerators in my room? And I remember rounding a corner and then seeing a sign that said health food. And there were, there was uh, a lesbian couple there and they're standing in front of the, there's, there's a whole, you know, bunch of vegan food. And I remember looking at them and them looking at me and there was that, there was that kind of, there was a connection. Same, like, same. Uh, yeah. us yeah and they you like smiled at me and i smiled back at them and, <laughs> and then you know bought a few packages of tofurkey or whatever <laughs> but it was still you know it still wasn't that hard and that's back then that's 13 13 years ago today you know when i did my first movie in manitoba because i've done four movies and a pilot in manitoba you know it was hard in winnipeg and then going i mean, I both on a lot of these i ended up outside of winnipeg in different areas much smaller towns and then, and it would be very difficult. I have to bring food with me and, and whatnot. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, there's eight vegan restaurants that I would like, you know, and all the markets had stuff that I could get. So it's, so to, to anybody who's paying attention that is still thinking like, you know, either ethically or for health reasons or because of the vir environmental reasons, you know, maybe I should become vegan or move to a more of a plant-based diet. It's like, it's just not that hard. I like that you are a proponent and as far as I have known you have always been a proponent for like thinking on your own um, politically and also just about issues in general, because I think that that's just the ticket. Like not that I don't vote a certain way or I would, I would never tell anyone how to vote, whatever, but just thinking for yourself, just, you know, just instead of aligning only with one thing, just thinking for yourself and this idea that, you know, if people can think for themselves, they don't have to wait till like their back is against the wall and the wall's on fire until we have a heart problem, until we have cancer, until we, but just 
so strange to me that we don't see that already. Like as a country, we're not like, oh, we don't have to wait till it's super bad. But I think doing things like at the at the waffle having vegan options, I think I think exactly what you're doing, making sure you're a part of these ads and these campaigns, these movies, you are just constantly like plugging it back in. Which well, you know, it's interesting you should say that, but the one thing that I found what I want to do works. You know, I may not be a people person. But I really believe that the thing that's always going to work best is being tolerant of other people's ideas. Yeah. So if you're tolerant of their ideas, then maybe they're, and they recognize that, maybe they'll listen to what you have to say. Being just bullhorning people and saying, this is right, you're wrong, and chanting, yelling, and all of that kind of stuff. Even when we protested, I would always be very much against the kind of stuff that just does not work, yelling at people, um, a lot of the sort of PETA-esque stuff, throwing things at people and whatnot. You, you really can't show me a situation where if you threw blood at a person, that's going to change them from the direction that they were already on. Pushes the them other side away. of like, you know, I, listen, I just wanted to, you know, have a conversation with you and, I, and listen to what you have to say. And I do. There's a lot of very hot buttony kind of issues where, you know, I, I, I can't see it any other kind of way. But I can also try to see it the way that other people see it. Or remember... When I ate meat, because that's what my parents gave me, you know, or your yeah. parents gave you, or that's yep. what you saw on TV. And that I was, you know, really consumed with this idea that I had to have animal protein in order to be able to build muscle, which turned out to be not true. But there was a point where I felt that way. And there's still lots of people who, who feel that way. I also believe that people have lived experiences that are different than my own. Yeah. And that may lead us on different paths in terms of governmental policy and things like that. And I should be tolerant of them and I would hope they would of me. But the constant yelling at each other and you're evil and and violence is not the way to achieve anyone's goals. And so I remember when after we released the kangaroos or not shoes video, I got attacked by a lot of people, most of them from Australia. And I tried to always maintain a certain reasonableness in talking to them, not because they're deserving of respect and I want them to be my friend or anything that's really warm and feel that way. It just doesn't work. (laughs) It just doesn't work. As hard as it is for me, I tried to express a certain amount of tolerance like I understand. Which is, I think, the end of the day, what allowed you to be the kind of person who maybe ate meat because you wanted to build muscle to then have that like flexibility of the mind to be willing to change because of that openness. I would argue that that's imperative to where you are now, that ability to listen to other people, that ability to respect other opinions, or even just acknowledge them is what in and of itself for your own brain and your own evolution has allowed you to be somebody who was like, oh, wait, I can still run a six minute mile or whatever you run, which I know is something that I could never run and, you know, be completely plant-based. Like you, you changed, which is so hard to do for any of us. It is hard to do, but I, you know, it's easier because I wanted to. The hard thing is, let me, let's explain the facts about how this is done, right? So you get the disinformation, let's take the kangaroo issue, by the industry, the kangaroo industry, that kangaroos are pests, that kangaroos are somehow aggressive towards people that they need to, that they're going to destroy farmland and, you know, and that there's, that they will just breed, they breed so prolifically that they'll overrun the continent. Now, some of it doesn't make any sense. I mean, Australia is 75% the size of the United States and has something like 14% of the population, population, you know, it's like a very, well, I don't remember what the population, let's say it's, it's like maybe 20 million. I mean, I might be full of shit, but it's, but maybe it's a little bit more than, let's say it's 30 million. 
I mean, it's a massive country. We all know that. It's a massive country. So the idea that they have to kill all of these kangaroos for that reason doesn't make any kind of sense. And that they have to do it, even, and, and I would never agree that they have to do it, but that they have to do it in such a brutal and cruel way. Yeah. And then when they say that it isn't, that it's done humanely, it's like, let's watch the, let's watch the, the film. And they work so hard to not have there be any film. Just like we know? do with factory farming and... Right, which I can't watch. And by the yes, way, there's a whole, while we were making the video, it was very difficult because there's very lim- there's we there, we had access to a phenomenal documentarian's work that has been squashed in Australia for a long time, and I mean he's been really attacked, threatened with violence by real by violent people. But we we were able to use a couple of different things of his. But as you go through that process, you know you have to be careful about about not turning people away who yeah. might be very sensitive to you. So. You know, I couldn't watch a lot of stuff, but the director editor that I worked with, he was like, don't watch this, don't watch that. You know, he was going through a lot of he stuff. He knows you. And I knew what they, and I had it all explained and that was hard enough uh, it is, but there is film out there that's incredibly awful. But we had to come up with a concept that wouldn't be so awful that people couldn't watch it. Digestible so, to them. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, we did. The idea of you starting did. backwards from the sh- with, with the product and then sort of Brilliant. just getting enough of an idea about what we're doing. But kangaroos are beautiful, wonderful animals. There was a fantastic New York Times article about how similar to dogs they are um, in many ways and in, in their ability to connect with humans and that they want to, you know, just even in the wild. Well, when you hear the, the reasoning, it, you know, not that not exactly the same, but you could be talking about like Denver's old BSL Pacific legislation, like, they're pests. They will hurt you. They will. It's it's just you know it's an you know it's bullshit excuses when it sounds exactly like all the other bullshit excuses. <laughs> you know, it's just interchangeable with the, what animal you're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's all about money, right? At the end of the yeah. sad day, and or just an entrenched idea in someone's mind and not being open-minded to maybe I'm wrong about this thing or that. What's next for you? What are you looking forward to working on or what do you want to work? What do you want to work on that will keep you in this place of happy and true to what you care about most, which is being this really powerful animal advocate um, and making amazing, amazing creative projects at the same time. Well, I'd like to do more kind of uh, more animal stuff. And, um, you know, obviously the pandemic slowed everything down and where things are going, what's going to be the kind of movies that'll be theatrical, what kind of things are going to be in streaming. So I'll continue to do and try to find the right projects that will have a commercial appeal so that I can get, you know, my messages planted within those kinds of movies. I probably want to I have some ideas about my own writing and possibly moving towards publishing things myself and saying more of the kind of stuff that I would say. I mean, one thing, the thing that people would always comment about my writing is that I would say things about the entertainment industry that other people wouldn't say. Well, you have to get really pretty far along to say everything. I mean, I, I always say, well, I don't say any everything exactly. I have to kind of like at some point make a decision about do how much do I want to stay in yeah. in order to be able to say the things that I think are going unsaid because people are afraid. People are afraid because there are, you know, you can get, you can get pushed out very easily. And that's, yeah. I'm not talking about, you know, cancel culture. I'm talking about powerful interests that, that have immense influence over uh, the film and television business. Uh, so I'd love to be able to, I may have to be waiting for that day where, which may be in the near future where, I don't have responsibilities to the product I'm making to really be full-throated about the kinds of things that I, that I want to say. I think that 
you want to be able to, again, influence people the way that I was influenced. But one thing I've always really um, been drawn to about you is an absolute un- unapologetic ability to fight for what you believe in and say what you need to say. So I have no doubt that however you, whatever you land on, you know, coming to the right the right next project or the, the right next thing to write about or how, how you're going to position it, I know it will be at the very least very honest. Um, well, yeah. And I, but honesty also, and there's a lot of things that go into honesty. And I understand that a lot of people sometimes can't be honest. I don't like to say every single person should jeopardize their livelihood and come out with things that are going to not be taken well and that could cause them to lose their job. I'm just fortunate that I've had a great career and that I don't need money and that I have all of the you know privilege that a, a white man does in, in our society. And if I'm not the kind of person who speaks out for things, then who the hell is? That's a good point, Gavin. Yeah, I hear that. Where can people like where how can people support you? How can people continue to hear what you have to say other than reading your articles, which I'm gonna tell them about? I don't know all that I, I don't know there's anything about supporting me that can be done at this point in time, but at some point in the future maybe I'll have my my own way of public of publications and, and more consistent presence so that I'm not going through large, you know, media companies um yeah. who have, may have their own agenda. But my my you know, for me, my hope is that, you know, people just think more and act more ethically. And I really appreciate your having me on to talk about this kind of stuff and that really supporting you supports me because the kind of thing that you're doing is is all part of a whole that I'd like to be part of. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time and making the time. No problem. I know that you probably have a zillion things to do and that you chose to be here and it means so much to me and, and to everyone who's listening. And I I'm going to ask you to come back and I want to hear so much more of the things that you have to say. I hope you know what a, a fan and a friend you have in me. Thank you for doing right. this. And, and that, that makes me feel really good. Thank you very much. Gavin, thank you so, Bye. so much. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to The Animal That Changed You, a weekly podcast that features extraordinary people talking about the extraordinary animal that changed their life. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Follow us on Instagram at The Animal That Changed You and tell your friends. If you've got a story about an animal that's changed your life, DM me, tell me about it, or tag us. We would love to hear. We appreciate you, we love your animals, and we'll see you next time.